The number one challenge in today's marketplace is talent. It's having the right talent, but it's also having enough talent. And for many companies, talent is also your number one investment. So how do you accelerate the performance of your HR and organizational development department to enhance the return on investment of what is your largest investment in talent? How do you get OD ASAP? Welcome back to the Stop the Vanilla podcast. I'm Steve Van Remortal. This podcast will give you the knowledge, the templates, and the practical steps to achieve what you want in your business, your career, and your life by having the right plan implemented by the right talent. Welcome to today's Stop the Vanilla podcast. Now, with talent being our number one challenge for many companies today, and for many of us, our number one investment, how do you accelerate the implementation of your human resources and organizational development to increase the return on investment that you get from your talent? Now, this is important for all companies, but it is essential to the success for private equity firms and their portfolio companies. Now, why is that? It's because most private equity firms try to have a five to seven year investment horizon. So building their talent management system quickly is critical to meeting their return on investment in that portfolio company. So in today's podcast, we're gonna discuss the practical steps for companies to build their OD ASAP. Now, when I was growing up, my parents always told me that if I wanted to learn something, talk to someone who's already done it a couple times. And so we're excited today to have Paul Cherapata with us in our Stop the Vanilla studios. <laughs> Paul is the CEO of Nakusa, uh, which is currently owned by a private equity company. And so uh, welcome, Paul. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. And so to set the stage for our time together, um, let me just review a couple things we want to accomplish in our podcast today. Number one is um, I want to discuss the common misperceptions regarding organizational development in private equity companies. Um, why do private equity companies need to accelerate their OD implementation? And you know, most importantly, how do you accelerate your OD implementation? And then really we want to finish off today with providing, providing you three steps that you can take to accelerate OD in your organization, in your private equity portfolio company um, to experience OD ASAP. So um, it's great to have Paul in here today. Um, I've got a lot of respect for what Paul does and how he leads and the leader that he is and the person that he is. And so I wanna take uh, just a quick moment here to really uh, let Paul introduce himself, tell us his story, um, and then we'll dive into the content for today. So Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. First off, the green room was fascinating. It was a beautiful spot. Thanks the for the champagne, the, the dark room. chocolates, and the Packer tickets. So <laughs> that must, very, You must have been in the wrong office. <laughs> very, very happy to be here today. So thank you for that. You're the welcome. studios are fantastic. fantastic. Uh, quickly, my story. So I'm Paul Sherapata, CEO of Nakusa. I was born in a small town here in Wisconsin called Winnie County, Wisconsin. Uh, 100 in my graduating class. Um, I started out my career by bussing tables at a local restaurant, picking sweet corn. And I think in terms of career-wise, how I thought about my life, it was instead of working at the restaurant and busting the tables, I want to be the person that's at the restaurant, 
eating uh, on the weekends and not the one that's busting the tables. The restaurant was on the river. Big boats were going by constantly, and I wanted to be the guy that has his family out there in the boat and not the one, again, waiting the tables as the the guy and his family leave uh, to go out and enjoy their time on the weekends on their boat. So for me, it's always been a motivation to grow, develop, and ultimately generate wealth for myself, um, which I define as the ability to do what I want to do and not what I have to do. So for me, it was go to engineering school. I went to Milwaukee School of Engineering. The reason I did that in eighth grade, I went to the guidance counselor office, I pulled out the book, highest starting wage out of college, $37,500. And that was engineering versus being a teacher or a lot of other careers that I looked at. So I picked that one and said, I'm gonna do that. And then I'll take that and build it into something else. And that's really, really how I started out um, in terms of my career and where I wanted to go. It wasn't more complicated than that. So what was your first career, uh, your first job then? My first job was newspaper boy, actually, because I watched the movie Rad and watched guys drive around in their bikes and, you know, jump off of little cliffs and things. They delivered papers and raced to do that. So first job was paper boy. Then I got a job at the local restaurant busing tables. Then it was picking sweet corn. Then it was putting up steel buildings. I've always worked and, and been focused on that. What about professionally after college and what'd you do? After college, it's really my career started and, and is still ongoing from there. So I went to college um, in engineering. I got an internship locally in Milwaukee, um, actually testing truck body frames for fatigue testing. And then I uh, dipped my toe in the paper industry. So being from the Fox Valley area in Wisconsin here, it made sense to get an internship in that space. I did that, and that's really defined my career all the way through. So the company that I started working for in 1996 is really the link to the same business I'm with today. So our conversation today is around organizational development and private equity firms and the importance of it. How, what was, how did you get into the private equity industry, if you will? Tell that story. Yeah, it really ties to my internship. So I worked for a paper business uh, that was privately held. That business actually sold out after I worked there for a number of years, almost 10 years. They sold out to Avery Dennison Corporation. Uh, which is a Fortune 250 company. So in selling that business, I went with the sale. I was a part of that business. The owner that cashed out from that transaction started a small fundless private equity group. So he was always, uh, him and I had a great connection, did a lot of good things together in his private business. So I went off to corporate America and did that for a while. And I realized quickly that I didn't want to sit in corporate America and, you know, as a young person, less under 30 years old, and then really know my career track for the next 40 years of my life. Yes, I could be very successful. Yes, there was lots of opportunity and senior management opportunities. But to do that over a 40-year horizon really wasn't that interesting to me. So to leave that join uh, somebody that I had worked for before in a private equity setting that he started his own group up was really exciting to me, one from a wealth generation perspective, and then this really what the concept of today's conversation is, that cadence and that pace to be able to accelerate and run at my own pace, which is really what the private equity world has opened up for me. Um, So was private equity a conscious decision for your career, or did it just kind of happen? Uh, I would say it was conscious from the standpoint that I knew I wanted to generate wealth. I wanted to do it in a relatively short horizon because I didn't want to work until I'm 80 years old. And so with that being said, it was the right choice. Um, The happenstance around that was the fact that it worked out that somebody I'd worked for before started a private equity group and opened the door and really gave me the opportunity to get into it. And introduced you into it. Okay, so tell Nakusa's story. 
you know, I think you're on your third uh, private equity partner. Tell the quick story on that and uh, maybe some of the things you learned along the way about the private equity industry, and then we'll dive into this OD in private equity. Yeah, so Nakusa is, is a great um, case study. I would say a world-class case study in terms of, one, how private equity works, not only from a, you know, really going through the various levels of private equity, but also how an organization must evolve with it to be very successful. So in terms of the Nakusa story, got involved in the business in 2006. The business was purchased away from 3M or Imation Corp. So again, a large company uh, created a standalone business. It was a carve-out, so we had to create our own systems and everything. But we were a fundless private equity group, basically three guys that wanted to work hard and do something great. So we bought the Nakusa business. It's a carbonless paper company, so 100% carbonless papers, which are in secular decline. So it was a relatively small transaction. Uh, purchased that business in 2006. Then really from there, the challenge was, what are we going to do with this thing? How do we take a 100% carbonless paper company and we don't have really any funds to do anything beyond just low capital type growth initiatives. And so from that standpoint, that's really where the org development bug started. Uh, my Avery roots, spending time in a publicly traded company, had a lot of discipline around organizational development. Mm -hmm. And so knowing we don't have a lot of equity, we're going to have to get a lot out of the people that we have. And we're also going to have to create a culture in this company that just was a carve out from a large corporation. So creating all the standalone processes for HR and things like that were very important to that business, mm -hmm. in addition to growing in new products. And so we're able to find some new product opportunities. Um, take advantage of that, grow the business, build the culture of metrics and disciplines to the point that the business was able to stand on its own, uh, grow in spite of some of that carbonless decline, build some new customer relationships, and then after a seven-year period, we sold the business. Yeah, I mean, you're talking classic case study. I mean, I think you're right on there because, like, if you, if you buy into a business, you want to, like, see upside, right? You want to see potential. You guys were seeing downside, right? Yep. I mean, your core product was in decline. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that had to be somewhat unnerving, I would guess. Yeah, it made it difficult because the minute you get up, as I tell my wife, you know, I got up today and 5% of my business is gone <laughs> and I have to go replace that. Plus, I have to go find something new on yeah, top of it. Yeah. So that's really part of the, the, you know, just that overall urgency that's created around yeah. it. And being a fundless group, a small startup private equity group was, was really interesting because, we don't have all or didn't have all the disciplines and understanding of even private equity because we had to really create that for ourselves. Okay. And so we did that for that seven year period. And then at that point we realized you can do so much without any sort of capital injection and the ability to do acquisitions, but that was really going to be important for the Nakusa business. So at that point, after seven years, we sold the company. We partnered with now our next partner, Wingate Partners out of Dallas. Wingate, $250 million fund, um, did five funds in that business. We were part of fund four. And so with that, now we had some equity to do some, do some things. And so spent a lot of time with them up front. Um, I'll refer to it as my 200-hour interview them spending time getting to know me and our, our team and then really setting the strategies to go forward. And that really allowed us to uh, go quickly over the five years that we were partnered together to do the things, not only org development that I'll talk more about later here, but also accelerate the growth of that business through acquisition. So with that business, we did f five deals, four acquisitions, one divestiture over that five-year period. Uh, we took the EBITDA of the business and, and uh, multiplied it by four. So four X. Busy five, four years though. Yeah, exactly, and about three X on the revenue side. So wow. dramatic growth for the company, very successful seven-year tenure. And then in 2012, just two years ago now, or uh, sorry, 2017, 
two years ago we sold the business and partnered now with our next partner, which is Sentinel Capital Partners. $1.3 billion fund of capital, again, legacy long-term private equity group sponsor. And now we're two years into that. We've done one acquisition with them, and so we're continuing on the track. Mm -hmm. So really to encapsulate the Nakusa story, it's um, small company carve-out, really not an established culture in terms of what the business is, not established direction in terms of how do we grow and become something bigger. Starting at that point, 100% carbonless papers, now evolving from fundless private equity group, $250 million fund of capital, $1.3 billion fund of capital. Small Nakusa business, one facility. Now we have four facilities today, actually one additional in Europe to, for five total facilities globally. You know, 50, or, uh, 85 employees when we started, now north of 300 employees today. So it's just been a dramatic change in terms of the business. And it's all about unlocking that potential. And then what do you do with it? How do you communicate it? How do you get everyone excited about it? And then how do you take it forward? So how many years you've been with Nakusa in total? Then? This is 14 years now in total that I've been with the business. And you're on your third partner. Yeah, so third that's partner. really interesting, really interesting. All right, well, thanks you, thank you for sharing your story. Um, so let's dive into our, this idea of organizational development in a private equity company. Um, my first question is, uh, how, how is organizational development different in a private company or even a public company versus a private equity company? What's been your experience there? Why, how is it different? I think it's a great question. The straightforward answer is it absolutely shouldn't be different, but I think it is different. And the reason it is different is cadence. And so in trying to explain cadence to people, it's a struggle sometimes. So the best example I can give people is to say, think of a metronome that's, that's you know, ticking off at 40 or 50 beats per minute. And you just kind of get that tone in your head. Now crank that up to 120 beats per minute, and it's moving faster. So if you want to employ this in your personal life, anyone listening to this, just take a day in your life, and instead of walking at a step a second like we normally do, just turn that up a little bit. Walk a little bit faster. And so what private equity does as it relates to organizational development or anything, it does stuff at a little faster cadence, and then what it requires for that is massive communication, making sure people understand what you're doing, better decision making, you not gotta know what you're doing, and then with that, you really have to utilize that extra time and pace to work on the right things, is really what it comes down. So if you just do this experiment in your personal life, if I leave this office and I walk to my car faster, well guess what, I probably have an extra 10, 15 seconds at the car. If I do nothing with it but just get in the car and sit there and relax, was that, I have the cadence, I have everything I need, but did it make sense? Mm -hmm. I'll drive home, I'll scurry into the house, I'll get there more time again. Do I use it to, hey, maybe give my kids a hug now and say, hey, I'm home, am I using it for value-added mm -hmm. things? Or did I just show up, throw my keys down, and go sit in a chair for an extra 15 seconds? So I think the private equity concept of that cadence is very, very important in that way. And the last thing is, if you go with your family and you get out of the car and you go trudging fast into the restaurant and you leave them behind, again, you have to communicate to them. Yeah, you gotta bring them along. So that's pace and urgency, again, it's the private equity experiment. You can do it for yourself, turn that pace up, but that's really what it's about. So back to your original question of non-PE versus PE, the difference is in non-PE, 
where does someone motivate you to take that extra step and move faster? Yeah, what drives your cadence? PE yeah. drives the cadence. Yeah. It's an automatic. The minute you're signed up for it, that's really what you're signing up for is just to say, hey, I'm okay moving a little bit faster, but when I'm going faster, I'm going to have to make better decisions. I'm going to have to communicate like crazy so people know what I'm doing and why I'm moving so fast. And they also have to know why I'm doing it. What are the objectives that we're working on? What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, because you're working in that five to seven year window, right? Correct. So to get as much done as you can, the cadence has to be faster. That's 100% the reason. Here's a dollar, or here's as many dollars as you need. Just give me three back for every one I give you <laughs> in five years. Seems easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to ask the question, what happens if you don't give well, them three back? That's the ultimate <laughs> accountability, right? <laughs> that's where it comes from. So. In your 14 years of working with private equity partners at Nakusa, what, what's, what are some of the most common misperceptions about organizational development in private equity companies? I think that really comes from the, the concept or the misperceptions around private equity overall. So if you flash back to the 80s and 90s, private equity was really a function of the ability to get leverage or debt to do deals. So the value creation came from doing the deal. And if, you know, the private equity guys would sit around, hey, I got another deal done, high five, we've won, great job, we're going to make a bunch of money. And then to do that because, one, there really wasn't a marketing agent around that as much as there is today. And now there's investment bankers everywhere. They're promoting deals broadly. They're creating auction, very disciplined processes around that and competitive sort of bids around that uh, in, in a process. Back then, it was if you had a chance to sell your company, you probably took it. Mm -hmm. And private equity really took advantage of those proprietary one-off conversations that they would plant some seeds. Over time, all of a sudden, the deal became viable, and they closed those deals. And so the money was made in the deals is what I would call it, 80s and 90s. Now fast forward to the 2000s and to today. The only way to really create value in the, in the deal is by improving the business. Mm -hmm. So the misconception was back in the 80s and 90s, companies would come in and buy a business, there was a lot of growth back then, just natural organic growth. Just hold it, just hold so it. So just hold it, it's gonna organically grow. And oh, by the way, because I was proprietary, I probably only paid five, six, seven times. So I didn't pay that much, it's organically growing, I'm gonna get my money out. And oh, by the way, if I go whack, to use a bad term, or fire a bunch of people, I can even get a higher return on that. So it wasn't like a personal, I understand I'm in the business sort of relationship. Instead, it was very surface. I made money because I did the deal, not because I improved the business. And now that mindset has completely shifted because there's traditional auction processes and competitive processes around the whole transactional side. It's very competitive. There's lots of people interested in buying the business and competing against each other. And so because of that, now organizational development, vitally, vitally important. You have to build the teams because the only way to improve the business is to build the teams within the business. So before we dive into what the strategies are, um, what, what are, what are some of the emerging trends you see in OD, like in private equity? Do you see any things that stand out to you that like we got to we got to be all over that, or that's going to impact how we're doing things at Nakusa and in the broader private equity market. Do you see anything emerging right now? I think exactly what we're talking about is the emerging trend. I, I see more and more now uh, private equity groups are putting organizational development as a one, two, or three strategy when they sit down and think about a five-year plan with a management team and say, we're going to partner together. What do we want to accomplish over the next five years? Organizational development is a part of that conversation today. So when you think about things like behavioral science, IQ, EQ, I mean, all these aspects of, of thinking about um, a business and how can I improve it, 
now private equity groups have an element of them that looks at those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And then when they get into a business, they'll assess that, they'll make that a priority, and they'll say in order for us to accomplish, to get from point A to point B, to get there, we know org development is a piece of that. Let's make that a strategy and put some effort and money and, and, and time into it. Mm -hmm. So when you when you had the conversations with your you know now third partner, um, what were some of the core strategies that what are some of the core strategies that came out of that that you saw now that have to be implemented? Like let's say you do your next deal, right? What are the three things you're going to do immediately? Or let's say you went to another company that you didn't have this track record of building all these things. What would be the core strategies that you would implement in HR and OD? And do you use HR and OD uh, interchangeably, or do you see them as two different yeah, things? Yeah, no, we discuss org development as, a, as mostly okay. the broad term. Okay. We get away from HR. It's, okay. it's really always about organizational okay. development. So what would be some of the core, like, you know, in your 14 years, what are the two or three things that are essential to organizational development in private equity? Uh, I think it's really... Again, I think it's just any organization, but that being said, you know, for me it's about getting a strong human resource or org development function within your business. And when you look at companies, um, it's easy to have site HR. So site HR takes care of the payroll and the benefits tactical and stuff, right? a lot of tactical day-to-day -day just supporting the fact that you have employees that work for your company. Mm -hmm. So but you really have to get disconnected from that, and it's even a shift from HR to org development. Yeah. I think org development has to be become a part of the conversation. So um, I've been worked with organizations where we actually changed the, the title of the department to just send that message that it's not tactical anymore, it's not about benefits, mm -hmm. it's, about, it's about talent, right? Strategic HR would be a term that some companies might use as well, but... Um, and so it's really sending that message that we're going a different direction with this, right? I mean, yeah. I mean that could be one key strategy is to just to change the name of the department. Yeah, I think Simple that's exactly on par, and I yeah. think that is really the fundamental strategy is how are you being deliberate about the development of your people? Mm -hmm. And that investment or establishing that clarity is vitally important. So the, the, one of the first strategies you said was really build out the OD function. I mean, mm -hmm. dive a little deeper into what you mean by that. What, what does that look like? If I'm a leader in a private equity firm, I'm a leader in just any type of company, how do I build out my OD function? Yeah, thinking about that, it, it was one of the things that I've contemplated a lot. What is the definition of org development yeah, even? Yeah. You know, that has a wide range of views in terms of people's mindsets. So the best way I think about that is, first and foremost, you have to have a performance management system in place. Okay. And to this day, it's amazing to me how many companies will go look at, and we're looking at a lot of different companies from an acquisition additional bolt-on standpoint, how many times we go in there and just ask fundamentally, do you have a performance management process? Some sort of feedback mechanism for your employees. And to me, that's critical in organizational development. And so a lot of, a lot of companies fundamentally don't have performance management. Once you get beyond performance management, then you get into the employee development processes. So beyond just, I told you to do something, you know, do item A, by this timeline, did you do it or not? It's the development side of it. What are you doing on leadership development? What are you doing with your EQ, uh, emotional intelligence? What are you doing to help lead people in your organization? How are you developing your employees? Those sorts of conversations. That's really the next wave of, of establishing and really getting uh, some movement on that. And I think having that formal approach to that. Um, the other one that's super important, in my opinion, is role definition. Because how many times in an organization do people look at it and say, Mary or John can do this, but they don't ask themselves, what is this? 
and why is this important? So I think it's very critical, and that's one of the things we do early on, is we'll sit down in a business and we'll sit down and lay out what the key accountabilities are. We'll sit down and discuss why does this role exist today? So I view it like I walk into the company, I'm basically taking a bus full of people, and this is the group that's gonna help me get to where I wanna go. It's the team I'm taking to the game, so to speak. But before I actually put people on the bus, I actually take the time to develop what's that seat? How many seats do I need on the bus? Yeah. Why does that seat exist on the bus? Do I need a coach? Can I get by with a van? Can I get by with a mid-sized bus? What do I need and why? So I think that role definition, um, when you lay out a strategy for org development, taking the time to actually identify the roles. Why does this role exist not only for this year, three years from now and five years from now? What's the contribution of that role to the day-to-day -day business, to the challenging of the status quo and the enterprise value development of the business? Yeah. A couple things come out of what you just said for me, obviously working with a lot of OD departments. Um, number one is, um, one of the greatest inefficiencies in most organizations is a lack of role clarity. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds like weird, like you don't know what your job is, but in reality, what decisions can I make, right? What am I held accountable for? So that's the first thing that takes away. The second thing that I've learned uh, working with a lot of OD departments is that the skill and actually the behavioral style for a strategic OD person yep. is the opposite of a tactical HR person, right? So yes. the person managing benefits has a very steady style, very detail-oriented, um, you know, very accurate in what they're doing, right? Handling insurance mm -hmm. and all that. The strategic HR person has more of that DI style, right? That more of that strategic, visionary, um, kind of charismatic style where they're investing in and developing talent. And that was from just strategic versus tactical, it's one of the, the HR role has one of the greatest discrepancies in skills and style between a strategic and tactical uh, roles within a position. Does that make sense what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Um, and a lot of companies, like, they think they can take their tactical HR person and make them an OD person. And that, that transition from that to that is very difficult to pull off yeah. just because it's different skills, right? Yep. Different wiring. Um, so that was kind of a key thing that I've learned along the way that I think is valuable when you're really looking to accelerate your OD. It's uh, making sure you got the right skill to do the strategic stuff. And I think that's spot on. And the risk that you run into is when, for example, private equity comes in, the cadence goes up, yeah. the desire to do something in a quicker time frame goes up, the natural reaction is to say, here's my team, you know, again, Mary, go do this, John, go do that, instead of stopping and just saying, wait a minute, we need... Uh, organizational development leader in our business. The natural reaction is our HR person Could is going to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Instead, you have to stop and really define what that means to have an organizational development resource in your business. What are they trying to accomplish? What are they trying to create? It's that role definition effort. Yeah. But I think just taking the time out to actually do that is so vitally important to make that happen. And then the last one um, in terms of strategies for me is this, this formal hiring or promotional process. So now you have your roles defined, you have a, a performance management system, you're developing your employees. The last piece is making sure that anyone new that comes in is kind of going through that same vetting process. I think you have to have that formal hiring um, and promotionary process too, because the same reason, you know, giving John or Mary that promotion into that next role, you have to understand what's the process for that. Yeah. Am I spending the time on that? Yeah. So if I'm leading an organization and I, I want to, you know, get OD ASAP, how do I, how did you figure out how much resources to put at it? 
you know, like you can't throw the whole bank at it. I mean, how do you figure out how much you need to put to it? I mean, is that? Yeah, I'd say that's not science. That's art. And it's really a function of the role definition side of things. Once you actually spend the time in defining the roles, the fun part about role development or role definition is the fact that if you reach out and ask your leaders to define the roles, the leaders that are unable to actually define those roles and understand why they exist are actually fundamental to your issue. Those leaders actually kind of raise their hand and go, hey, wait a minute, I might not be in the right role. So I think going through that process, it, 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 the ASAP aspect of it, if you just start with that role definition, take the time out, you can do that. And then by doing that, it almost self-selects. Yeah, yeah. So you can, one, you can decide how, how, how many people are, are capable of making that next step into true leadership and, and understanding what they're trying to do and get on your cadence. Um, I'd say the other part of that for me has been everyone needs to embrace organizational development. You don't have a number one, number two, or number three priority in your business unless everybody understands it, everybody embraces their component of it. And so for me, that's always been a, a, a key opportunity within our business is making sure that people get that and making sure that people are spending time on it. And again, it goes back to just like role definition. If you're unable to define the roles, similar, if you're unable to embrace organizational development, if you're unable to say, I'm accountable by my performance management, I'm accountable to developing myself and my fellow employees, I'm accountable to delivering results for the business, then you're not a part of the solution or part of what's gonna take the business forward. You're in fact, probably holding it back a bit. So an OD role will have talent retention, talent development, talent acquisition. I mean, those are what some of the key role, key accountabilities we're talking about, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yep. absolutely. And then it's, it's how deep is it embraced? And so that's how we look at it within our business. Uh, for example, we have an initiative called 15 Folks. And that initiative is around, we know we need 15 people that are able to embrace what we want to accomplish. They're not just locked into the day-to-day, -day, but they have time to do strategic initiatives, and they're capable of doing those on the timelines and in a way that they've committed to. And so we'll just lay it out there and say, here's the number, here's the pipeline of people that are working towards that, and then we as a management team, senior management team, discuss that regularly in terms of how we're getting there. Are they recognized to the rest of the organization as a folk? Yep. So, that, so everyone knows who the 15 folks are? Yeah, so we'll hold leadership conferences, and if you're invited to the leadership conference, you're in the pipeline. <laughs> and then becoming a folk, it's pretty clear. That's how you participate in options programs, you know, to get a higher payout, which I know we'll discuss a bit later as well. But this, you're in the game at that point. Then you have, like, a leadership and an ownership stake in the business mm -hmm. when you're, you're basically embraced as a folk, if you will. Yeah, so let's just go to that right now. So mm -hmm. one of the sexy parts of private equity, right, is, is that – that sale, that transaction that moves you to the next partner, um, how, do, how do you use that as a, a building OD? I mean, you just said, right, the 15 folk have an option, they have options. How has that worked for you in the past? I mean, just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think there's the balancing act. So when we say, going back to my first example of walking faster, you know, it's interesting. You go start walking faster, go do it with your friends once and see how many just start walking fast with you and how many sit back and go, you're an idiot. What are you doing? <laughs> or even your family for that matter. You know, you're a moron. What are you doing this for versus, yeah. hey, let's go walk fast. Let's try yeah. this. Yeah. That's exactly the idea with private equity. When you say, we're going to walk fast now, how many people immediately get in line and walk fast with you? Well, the whole opportunity to get a payday is really the motivation. And there's some people... In the case of private equity, what's interesting in our story, 
all of the acquisitions that we've done, none of them have been private equity backed businesses except for one. And so with that in that mind, that we purchased, okay. that we brought into the fold. Yeah. So we're actually going out and buying in most cases, owner operator private, type businesses, private, privately yeah. held businesses. And so they're walking at 60 beats per minute. And then we come in and say, all right, let's move. Let's do this. Let's accomplish something great. There's the potential for this payday. A lot of people look at us and go, boy, I never signed up for that. Yeah. But now I am signed up for that. So that's the critical decision-making process. Are you willing to embrace that opportunity? So we do have options opportunity available. So the nice thing in most private equity setups, 15% or so of the overall equity is typically set aside in an options pool. Um, there's a lot of discretion on behalf of the management team, CEO, et cetera, to really dole out that opportunity. Um, in our case, we have a good portion of it that's doled out to individuals, but we also actually put a pool aside for all employees to share in as well. Mm -hmm. So at the time that the company is sold, a payday happens and everybody gets a portion of that win. Mm -hmm. But again, we're running fast. We're not trying to accomplish, keep the business going. You know, 5% growth is, is unacceptable. 10% growth is fine. And I think that's the other big earmark to private equity. It's not about... Can you double the business? Can you quadruple the business? Can you go 10x? It's about how big can you think? If you think you can get to 10x, then go do that. If you think you can get to 20, go do that. If you think you can get to two, go do that. There really is no definition around that. It's just a push to go make the great thing happen. Mm -hmm. And when it does, you have a chance to share in it. Mm -hmm. It's not a hypothetical. It's on a cadence. It's going to happen every five to seven years. New partner comes in, some chips off the table, reinvest, and then go to the next turn. Mm -hmm. With your 14 years doing this, how many, let's say you've asked 30 people to walk faster. Mm -hmm. How many say, I, I, I don't want to walk faster? How many can't, I don't want to say can't see it, but maybe just don't want it? Yeah, it's been surprisingly a lot, I would say. So our turnover, I would say just broadly turnover in terms of people that we need to be in the folks group, if you will, yeah. that haven't been able to, to make that step. Uh, it's probably about a third that don't right. make it. Yeah, and uh, so with that being said, it's just about deciding and, and recognizing that. Because again, the cadence, the, the, the metronome yeah, do, is going. Do I want it? Yeah. Do you want it, do you not? And if you don't want it, you can't wait. You can't hold on it. You gotta make a move, you gotta take action. Mm -hmm. Having now on your third uh, private equity partner, what, what was probably your greatest learning about OD across, you know, having different experiences you know, going from a fund list to a 1.3 billion. I mean, what, what what were some of your greatest one or two greatest learnings about OD just in the in the different partnerships? Yeah, the single biggest one for me is, as I shared, I went to engineering school, yeah. so I'm very much about understanding the problem, the math behind it. How do I solve this issue? The vision part of it becomes a bit challenging at times because just of how I'm wired and how I think. So I think the b biggest mistake I've made, and I'll probably continue to make it for a while, <laughs> is the willingness and the confidence sometimes to say, you know, we as Nakusa, if I step back and said, you know, we one facility, someday we're going to be five facilities. We're going to be five times the size we are. To sit back then and go, okay, I'm going to start preparing for that now has always been a challenge versus, you know, actually thinking about that and making that step. Mm. So I think the single biggest learning for me in this world it's not watch what you ask for, you might get it. It's prepare for what you want and then go get it. And so for me, I would definitely say make the investment in the org development piece. You know, hire up in terms of what your manager's capabilities are. 
you know, go bigger than, than building these resources and make these investments in these people that can help get you there, make those earlier and then be prepared when you get there. Because that's the last piece, Steve, to this whole private equity equation. It's not about what I do with this partner. It's what I do with this partner that I can articulate to my next partner that they can get excited about it. So just because I had a great little successful run here doesn't really mean anything because that isn't gonna get the next person excited. They're not gonna look at me and go, wow, you guys are a growth business. I really love the upside. You guys have the right team to take a $100 million company and turn it into 500 or a 500 million and turn it into a billion. That's really what you have to build towards. And that's the one thing I've recognized going from a sub $100 million company to north of a $100 million company approaching 200 million. That's really the real learning there is the fact that you've got to prepare for that next step. Did, did the private equity companies that you've partnered with view OD differently or was there consistency to it? I would say there's, there's a lot of consistency to it. I think one of the interesting things, um, having been through multiple sale processes, I've met with north of 20 groups and really got a sense of when they come in and they're interviewing you for why should I buy your business or invest in your business? Why should I give you dollars? How many are you going to give me back? That's really the conversation that you're having through the sale process. Uh, as we go through that, it's, it's interesting to see as we get bigger how much more important they have to have a belief not only in me as the leader, but the team that's surrounding me. And so, again, that's really the light bulb for org development and what's necessary to create that scale, is this business can become great because Paul Sherapata is great, but there's a limit to how much I can do. I can only work 80 hours or 90 hours, and at some point I'm gonna collapse. I'm getting older and I have kids and I have other obligations. Like, there's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. And I think these groups, you know, as they've employed their learning, you know, they're looking at hundreds of businesses a year. They know the differences very quickly. Is this a strong leadership team? Is it supported underneath? Is it one person creating the vision, others executing underneath, but supported by others underneath that? Mm -hmm. And you really can't fake that or hide that. The reality is if it's there, it's scalable. It's not only exciting for the existing partner. More importantly, it has to be exciting for that next partner and even argue the next one after that. So a $1.3 billion fund looks at OD the same as a $250 million. I would say they do. I think the biggest difference is just resources around it. So our fundless private equity group valued, absolutely valued org development, but we didn't have a lot of resources to deploy to it. Even our $250 million fund group strongly embraced it, loved it, but had to almost kind of support and, and, and not really bring a lot of resources to bear to support it. Hmm. In the case of our, our current group, they have resources to bear. We have partners. Obviously, we partner with you guys, for mm -hmm. example. We can bring those resources to bear now because we have more scale and size, and they supplement that effort with some of their resources as well. Um, when you go into an organization and consider it as an acquisition, how do you evaluate the strength of the OD function? It's just about spending time. Um, I shared earlier in my 200-hour interview with our first private equity partner, or funded private equity mm -hmm. partner. The reason I spent 200 hours is not because they didn't understand our business or because they had questions around some metrics or things like that. It was, at the end of the day, assessing me. And so we sat down for hours on end and just talked about where should the business go? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? And so when we go in and buy a company, we do exactly the same thing. We get in there and do the best we can to spend time with the leaders of the business. And I would say that's one of the learnings from this whole process as we've bought companies and looked at companies. 
it's one of the scary things about private equity now. It's become so transactional and it's become very competitive. So what happens in a competitive process, a lot of times they don't allow much access. You know, you get a very generic data room. You might get one meeting with a management team and a dinner. That is all the time you really have to assess these people. So as it comes to org development, you really have to embrace it and understand it because you have to have the ability to sit down with a management team over a four-hour meeting and a two-hour dinner and try to figure out how does this team tick? How strong are they? So it's about the types of questions that you ask. It's about the time that you spend. It's pulling people aside and, and, and really, you know, kind of checking and reassessing and figuring that out quickly. Mm. But for me, it's all about the time. And you're limited in some cases. <clears throat> and we'll have situations you know, when we're looking at a company where you just can't get access and it's blocked. You go, time out. There's something there. I can't do it. Because if you buy a business that has a weak team, it basically delays you a year, 18 months, by the time you can correct that. And you can't run fast enough. You can't catch up, catch up because the five-year window is there. The five-year cliff is there, yeah. right? You have to get there and get it done. Yeah. Um, so when you acquire a business, what are the first three things you do regarding OD? Uh, the biggest thing that I'll do is I'll, I'll, I will sit down uh, with several of the leaders within the business, and I'll go as deep as they can go. And it's a pretty simple system. I just look at performance and leadership. And I just put together a little nine box chart around that. And I just say, okay, help me understand, you know, if you measure performance on a one to five scale, where would you put these key people? And then I spend a lot of time too saying, what's the most significant, meaningful thing or win this business has delivered? If you can put three plaques on the wall that are the wall hangers of, I did this, this, and this for this business, what was it? and then I'll attach as many people to it as I can. Hmm. And if it's just one person that, you know, the name, the patent's on the wall, so to speak, and it's one person, okay, got it, but then what does that mean, org development? It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Or if that person puts the plaque up and says, here's what we did, we accomplished this new product launch, and here's how it went, and here's all the new customers, and here's the things we learned, and then here's the six people that did that, okay, now we've got something. Mm. And then I'll just keep talking to those people and, and piecing it together. Mm. But it's, it's time. You have to spend time and you have to talk it through. So you and I recently spent time together with one of your team members on, on her development. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the candor of conversation and the vulnerability really high, right? Mm -hmm. does, that, does that change at all in the private equity world? Or, like, do they want to know any of that? Or do they want you to manage that and they don't, they don't get into the personal side? I'm just curious on that. Yeah, I think that's group specific. Uh, I've experienced groups that are very involved in that sort of stuff and you have very strong, lasting forever relationships. And there's other groups that you have good relationships, but it's not that vulnerable, interpersonal sort of mm -hmm. a, a relationship. So my, my thought on that is it, it's not up to the private equity group to do that. It's up to the leader. And I think to be an effective CEO, leader of a company, you have to show that vulnerability. Uh, I just was shoveling a couple days ago, and uh, I shoveled, I hit the ice, I hit the ground, <laughs> and my wife caught it on video, and no. they're laughing at me and showing. But I send that to people in my business to let them laugh and yeah. go, guess what? Paul falls on the ice, and he's an idiot sometimes, yeah. right? He's just like me. But it's that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. just another person. And, and I think that idea of, again, private equity isn't, it's not a concept. It's just about we want to make money. We want to make a lot of it in a short period of time. And guess what? If we do that, we get to keep some. And then let's go do it again. And then we get to keep some. And let's go do it again. We get to keep some. It's not like it's anything different. It's just faster. 
In order to do it faster, I think there has to be an element of trust and vulnerability amongst the team because you are asking a lot. Mm -hmm. You do have to act differently than you would if you just have a job because yeah. this isn't a job. Yeah. One of the coolest moments that I had with your team, and it was just an impressive moment for me, is we were, we were talking about how your team uses behavioral science in developing people, and you made a statement to your team that you want them to figure out what they love to do. You want them to love what they do, right? You want them to be passionate about what they do. And if you figure it out, if you don't know that, we want you to figure it out here. But if you figure it out and it's not part of us, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Is the private equity world cool with that too? Absolutely. I think it's vital. And I think for true org development to happen, you have to recognize not everybody was wired to work in a paper industry business. Not everybody was wired to be in a private equity business. You know, sometimes the cadence is just too fast. Yeah. Back to that earlier example of walking faster, some people just aren't cut out to walk at that pace. Yeah. And if you're not, you want them to put their hand up and say, guess what? I can either keep walking with you and be miserable, and when I am miserable, I'll smile to your face, but then the minute you step away, I'm probably gonna be complaining and sputtering and all this, and it creates a big drama in your business. You can't have that. You'd much rather have people say, guess what? Walking at this pace isn't for me, but I love to cook. I love photography. I love whatever it is. And so we'll invest in that and say, let us help you go be your best person doing that. And that's good for our company. It's good for you as an individual. And then we're on to something and we're doing things right. And it does create that churn and a healthy churn, if you will. What usually happens to me is that I'm walking real fast and I turn around, I got one other person with me and the group's way back there. <laughs> and they think I'm the inconsiderate one, right? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And you're in your head going, wait a minute, guys, I'm the leader. We're supposed to be going we this gotta fast. We've got to be making some time here. we got to make some time. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right. Um, just in you know, getting close to wrapping up here, how do you measure ODASAP? I mean, you... You buy a, you make an acquisition, you uh, get a new strategic partner, and then you got to kind of do it again. I mean, how do you measure this significant investment that you make in OD? The, the beauty of private equity is it's the ultimate measure yeah. because you can sit back. You know, it's like living in a house. Eh, yeah, we did the bathroom, we did the kitchen. I know the house is worth more. That's one thing. Go sell it once. And if you can sell it, that's the ultimate conveyance of value creation. Yeah, yeah. So the beauty of private equity as it relates to that, we have the ultimate measure. I have it for five years, I put it on the market, did I make more, did I create value, yes or no. It's very defined, it's very clear. Mm. As it relates to org development, I would argue that if you're not doing it, you're probably not gonna see the results that I would consider to be outlier results. Because I always look at industry and just say, what did my industry do, what did my peer groups do, and then how did we do relative to them? And if you're outrunning them and you're outpacing them, you're creating an outlier outcome. I don't think there's another way to do it unless you've truly embraced organizational development. Mm -hmm. And I look at it just further to that point, I, you know, there's that concept of being married to your business. And you see a lot of owner operators that are married to their businesses. They work hundreds of hours. It is everything that they have, but it's a marriage. They're not necessarily managing it sometimes. And I think a private equity really forces you to manage your business instead of being married to your business. And when you're married, this thing has to survive at all costs, no matter what. If the arm gets infected, we're gonna fix it. Private equity says if the arm is infected and it's not working, we're cutting it off and then we're moving on. And I think that's the fundamental difference in terms of uh, org development. To me, that is the measurement. How well are we driving this in the business? How well have our employees embraced it? And how well are we turning over and developing leaders so that we are in a position to 
articulate our story well, move on to our next partner, and continue the story, make the business super successful. When a private equity firm buys a portfolio company, and let's say it's private, so it doesn't have the metronome going at a faster pace and so forth, what are the first three things they should do? It's about deliberate action, it's about driving. So one of the, the most intriguing stats on this, uh, the mean for all private equity businesses, this is a Bain & Company stat, but for overall mean return for private equity businesses, call it $100 million or so in size and revenue, is 1.3 times. So a dollar in, a dollar 30 out after a five to seven year investment horizon. What they looked at, what Bain looked at is said, when there's early engagement in the business, so first year early engagement, and what that means is exactly what we're talking about. Do you have an org development plan? What are your key strategies that you're gonna execute on? On what timelines? How are you gonna push yourself to get those things done? Once you have that in place, it's actually a 3.4 times return on investment. Really? Yeah, significant. So, so again, improving the business. So private equity groups that just, I, again, I did the deal, signed the papers, I own this company now. 1.3 times. I just bought it. it. Continues to be what they are. Yeah, you move the decimal point, point three to three point four. Yeah, it's a three x return improvement. Significant. So when you think about that, private equity groups that come in, sit down with the management team, assess the management team, assess the leadership that you have in place, assess the priorities for the business, and then you hit that ground running. That 200 hour interview I talked about. We made an acquisition that doubled the size of our business in the first six months of our company. Wow. With our Sentinel partnership, we made an acquisition that's a third the size of our total revenue. We made that acquisition within the first six months as well. And why are we able to do that? Because we sat down up front, early engagement, we understand what we need to do, we have the org development in place, we have the right leaders, and now we're off and running. So that's such a vital thing to, to create a success story. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the OD, depart, OD department plan. It's uh, department plans are about working on the business, right? So what yep. are the 10 things we're going to get done first on the business? And probably rallying your leadership team around that OD plan. It's not OD, though, there's a common saying that OD is not a department. It's, it, it's a philosophy, right? It's yeah. a belief. Um, and you support that big time because, I mean, it, you're investing in your talent all over the place. And so getting that OD plan together as quickly as possible and start executing on that OD plan because it's about working on the business, not in the business. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really, really important. Um, let me see here, just in wrapping up. Um, one other question I had for you was, I would estimate that probably about 25, 20 to 25% of organizations in general use any level of behavioral science in their OD development. Mm -hmm. What have you taken away from using behavioral science in organizational development, and what would your encouragement be to anybody that either is not using it or using it at the level that you guys do to really help them you know, get OD ASAP? Yeah, I think one of the big mistakes is that you can fix somebody or you can change somebody, yeah. right? We yeah. live in that in our personal lives, we live in, in our business lives. And so that concept of, or development isn't necessarily, the word development's in there, it doesn't mean that you can take anybody and fix them to be a great leader, or you can fix them to be a great contributor to your business. Or development is about recognizing who the leaders are and feeding them and supporting them in their growth, recognizing who's not healthy for your business and moving them out onto other things in the right way and through the right process, but then getting the right people in. Um, a couple stats I had too, I think I've talked to you about this in the past, but 100% of low performers measure high in integrity. 100% of low performers are honest people. Imagine that. So 
And the second stat, too, is 97%, 97% of low performers measured high in work ethic. So I'm honest and hardworking. How many times have you heard that? If I just could get honest, hardworking people in my business, I'm going to be successful. So you have a 99% chance that they, they, they could be a low performer and still have those attributes yeah, to them. Yeah. And so to me, that's where behavioral science comes into the mix. How am I hard-coded? How am I hard-wired? How am I matching what I'm built to do, if you will, versus what I'm, I'm doing, what I'm asked to do? Role definition, understanding what you're built to do, connect the two, you get the most out of it. And kind of take that whole integrity, work ethic, all those things out of it, because we're not in a world of, you are expected to be high integrity, you are expected to work hard. Guess what? That's why you come and you're allowed to be an Akusa employee, as an example. Yeah, and if I'm wired for the role I'm in, I'm going to work hard because I love what I do. Exactly. It fits who I am. It all lines so up. So it's actually the opposite. Figure out the fit and that work ethic will come versus figure out who can work hard and then figure out what to do with them. Correct. So and that's where little, behavioral science, too, yeah. it helps you assess if there's not a fit as well or it helps really align that very well. And I think that's really the, as we mentioned earlier, that's really the trend that's happening in the industry now is having that work or that data around that as opposed to just being subjective or opinion-based. Hmm. So in wrapping up, what would be advice to... Um, either a leader of a private equity portfolio company or another private equity company on ODEASAP. What are your closing remarks to anybody listening that wants to accelerate the performance of their talent in, in their company as a whole or in their private equity portfolio company? Be deliberate in working through org development. You have to be deliberate. So you have to sit down and ask yourself, honestly, do I have a performance management system that's real in my business? Or is it just that John always does a good job, you know, pat him on the back? And, or are you actually holding him accountable to what, what he's being asked to do? You've got to have performance management. You've got to have employee development programs in place. So that's around the leadership aspects. You know, what are you doing to be a leader? What are you doing to develop those around you? Um, how are you looking at your blind spots in your personality if you're too harsh in certain ways or um, you're not carrying yourself properly? How are you wise to that? How are you adjusting to that? And then the last one, like I said, role definition to me, if you want to get started in, in org development, just sit down and ask yourself, why does this role exist? If you have a corporate purchasing person and you buy from three vendors and you are involved in all of those conversations anyway, why do you have a corporate purchasing person? Like, ask yourself, does that seat on the bus really need to exist? Or if it does, what does that seat really deliver in terms of value to your business? If you have a corporate purchasing person, why aren't they delivering 300, 500, a million dollars of incremental value each year? Or are they just sitting on the nest, you know, monitoring, sort of giving you the weather, hey, this is what happened. You don't want that. So I think that role definition piece, if you can just do those three things, performance management, employee development, um, and then the last one being uh, role definitions, it's there. You got Good. it. And the other thing we talked about earlier to add to that would be the hiring. The hiring making, piece is vitally making important. Making sure we get the right person the first time. Agreed. Yeah. So, I mean, ODASAP is really about accelerating your talent management system, your performance management system to make sure that we got the right people in the right seats. And every year we're getting more and more out of our talent. Mm -hmm. I always tell people it's like every year get more and more out of our talent. And they're experiencing greater reward with that, right? So... And then the other thing too, and I think this is the future of OD, is that we just don't develop the work person. 
we developed a total person, right? And you mm -hmm. guys do that at Nakusa as well. It's it's developing the total person. In the old days, it was like, I don't want to know about your personal problems, right? Yeah. And in today's world, it's tell us. We want to wrap our arms around you. We want to help you through any personal strife that you have because it's going to impact work, number one. Number two, you're yeah. a team member, right? You're one of the folks, right? So we want to take care of the total person. And that's something you guys do at Nakusa as well. If anybody wants to learn more about uh, Nakusa, Paul, how do they do that? Our website is www.nakusa.com. So that's the lead site. And then from there, you can drill down, see some of our, our um, specifics on facilities, what we do as a company, et cetera. It's all there. All right. Um, thanks a lot for being here today. Um, this whole concept of ODASAP, um, I think, is powerful. Um, I think it applies to any organization. But it specifically applies to a private equity firm um, that has a short investment horizon, but in a world where talent is scarce, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And right. so, really, uh, being good at this is going to be important to the success of the private equity firm. So, uh, thanks for being with us today, Paul. Um, if if the podcast brought you value today, um, share it with others. Um, we just really appreciate that. Or you can leave us a review. That'd be helpful. And I just wanted to encourage you to identify and implement three action plans to accelerate your organizational development in your, your company so that you can experience ODASAP. Thank you for listening to the Stop the Vanilla podcast. If today's episode would bring value to someone you know, make sure to pass it on to them. If this podcast has brought you value, make sure you leave a review, helping others find it as well. If you want to receive our content, head over to StopTheVanilla.com and sign up for The Scoop, a weekly email of quick tips on strategy, talent, and leadership. Or download a ton of free resources and templates. Thanks again for tuning in to the Stop The Vanilla podcast, where we help you achieve what you want in your business, your career, and your life by having the right plan implemented with the right talent. You be my regular style. All right, boys. 